Thank you, Pastor Bob and praise team. And don't get too concerned, it's just a cold, but since I shake everybody's hands, I figure I could make the whole church sick, and maybe I make the church sick every week, but uh, uh, I could make you all sick, and so I decided I didn't want to do that. I'm okay, uh, and if I'm not here in the second service, it's not because I'm sick, it's because I'm going to see uh, my nephew be ordained in Kentucky, and so we're kind of excited about that, that will be my sister's second child that'll be ordained, and so we're going down to a Baptist church, you <laughs> try a Baptist church to, to see Danny be ordained, and I'm excited about that, and uh, keep us in your prayers as we, we go down to be with family and, and do that. You know, we, we all have obligations, amen? <laughs> we all have obligations, things that we need to do, things that need to get done, and, and obligations fill our life. And, you know, just think back. What, what were the most crucial obligations? Obligations, things that you had to do that maybe if you didn't have to do them, you wouldn't do them. Maybe if they weren't an obligation, it wouldn't be on your radar. But what were the most important obligations you had last week? There were, there were several of them, right? And even as you're sitting in here today, there, there's obligations. There's things that you need to do next week. There's things already as you come into this sanctuary, and I don't want to distract you, uh, but, but, but I, I know how people are. People can do multiple things at the same time. And some of you, as, as you're sitting here listening to the sermon, and I believe you're listening as you're participating in worship, still in your mind there's those things that are coming up next week. We all have obligations, things that we need to do. We all have preferences. And these aren't the things that we really need to do, but we want to do them. We, we like to do them. And, and sometimes they almost feel like obligations. At 3.30 yesterday, many of you thought that you were obligated to watch the Buckeyes. You weren't. <laughs> that was a preference. Last night at about 7.30, there were some of you that thought you were obligated to watch the Indians. That if you didn't watch the game, they'd lose. Who thinks that? That if you don't watch the game or you don't have a certain shirt on, they lose. That, that's a preference. All, all of us, our life is full of obligations and preferences. And, and, and these are the kind of things that fill our life. And, and, and so there's some things that, that we're just flat out obligated to do. And, and there's some things that that's just a preference, but, but these are the kind of things that fill our life. Now, we believe, or I believe, that we commit ourselves to the things that we believe matter most. Now, now sometimes, if you're like me, uh, so sometimes it's not that, that you believe that it matters most, but somebody that's important to you believe that it matters most, and everybody said amen. <laughs> uh, but, but sometimes there's things that we, we do in our life because it, it matters to somebody that matters to us. Or it matters somehow in a peripheral way to things that we are doing in our life. And, and so our, our life is made up of those things. Those things that we feel obligated to, that someone else feels obligated to. Those things that are preferences. Those things that we value. Sometimes, sometimes our obligations take precedence over the things that are preferences, the things that we value, right? Uh, we, we work, 
And not that, you know, most of us value work too. And, you know, I, I would prefer to work than not to work. And, uh, but, 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 but work is kind of an obligation. And so sometimes we're, we're working when we'd rather be with family, right? Are, are we tracking? And sometimes preferences honestly take value over, over obligation. So we'll spend time with family when, when maybe... There's other things we could be doing, some, some work or some obligation. But, but the point of this is, we give time to things that matter. Amen? Amen? The things that we believe matter, we commit time and energy to. Now, now we've been tracking through this series, Life Together, and this is the last week of life together. And, and we, we find life, we do life together, that, that we're meant to do life together. You are not meant to do this on your own, but, but you're meant to do life with other people. But, but I fully believe that not only are we meant to do life with other people, but we really find life with each other. And next week we're having Compassion Sunday and, and we're going to talk about all sorts of ways you can, you can reach out to, 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 the, to the orphan, to the widow, to, the, to those who, who are left behind. And, and Kevin Green's going to share with us some and we're going to get some information on our bus ministry and we, we're going to give you an opportunity if you don't, to maybe adopt a child and support a child through Compassion Ministry. So we're going to give you some, some options of ways that you can be involved. And so I hope you come out next week for Compassion Sunday as we talk about ways that we can put to, to practical use our faith. And then after that, we're going to just talk about Jesus here, and, and that's going to be our Advent series. We're going to start our Advent series in November. I'm sorry. I'm just like, I'm just like the stores. We're starting Christmas early now, okay? I'm uh, going to be doing Christmas. No, I don't know if we're going to do Christmas music every week, but the Advent series will start in, on November 13th. But, but we've been tracking life together, and, and life together is essentially dealing with one of our core values. And the core value is we believe that transformation occurs through relational discipleship. In other words, what we do when we gather in big groups is significant, it's important. We encounter the very presence of God through the Holy Spirit and ultimately transformation occurs through the Holy Spirit. Amen? This is important, this is valuable, this is significant, but I am convinced in the life of this church that the life of this church is found in the small group setting, in the relationships you have with one another. And if you were to look back, if you were to track back at the big, the big movements, the maturing that's happened in your life, it's not always happened in, this, in the large setting in here, but it's happened in the midst of relationship with other people. And so relationship is essential if we want to mature into the believers that I believe Jesus wants us to be. So the last three weeks, we, we talked about we were created in relationship for relationship. In other words, a relational God created us in his image. God is love. And to say God is love is to say that God is a relational being, that God is relational. God is love. And the Trinity created us in, in their image, in God's image, meaning that we were created for relationship. And so there's a... There's a God-shaped hole within each of us, but there's also a human-shaped hole within us. 
Adam was created. He was placed in the garden. And everything was perfect. And there was no sin. And what did God say? It's not good for man to be alone. Now, you women are saying, well, obviously it's not good for man to be alone. They'll get into all sorts of trouble. But I believe it has a significant meaning beyond that. We were created for a relationship. Relationship with our Heavenly Father and relationship with each other. And when we, when we do not reach out, when we do not commit ourselves to relationship with other people, we're missing part of who we're created to be. And then the next week we said Christian identity is formed in Christian community. In other words, if we want to be shaped like Christ, if we want to be ordinary people following Jesus, if we want to have the mature character of a Christian, it comes in Christian community. You know, God doesn't want us just to go into our closet and, and read our Bible on our own and, and pray on our own, but, but God intends us to be connected with a body of believers, truly connected with a body of believers so that our identity can be formed in the midst of Christian community. And you see this throughout the Bible. Well, one of the primary examples that I see is the Apostle Paul, and we've talked about this in the past in another sermon, but the Apostle Paul has the most significant, big event, spiritual event, altar event that you can imagine. Paul's, of course, on the road to Damascus, and he sees this bright light, and it makes him blind, and Jesus speaks to him, audibly speaks to him, from the sky. Anybody ever have that happen to them? Just raise your hand, yeah. You know, of all the altar experiences you could have, that is the most dramatic one you could have. And Paul has this dramatic conversion. But Paul is formed in Christian community. They send Paul out to the desert, they send Paul out away. They, they put Paul in the midst of a, a community of believers. And that is where Paul is shaped for service. So we'll have, hopefully, you will have dramatic spiritual experiences, altar experiences. I've had them, you'll ha you've had them, and they're great. But ultimately, I believe we are formed in the midst of a Christian community. And then the last thing we talked about was this, is the church is meant to be family. And, and I think we're starting to lose that a little bit in the church, if we were honest. And, and it's not, it goes beyond the ideal that, that we used to call each other brother and sister. Uh, sometimes we did that because we didn't know each other's names. And, but, but, and it goes beyond that. But, but, but there's this sense of being pulled apart in the church. Am I right? We are being pulled in so many directions that, that oftentimes the times in our homes, the times around dinner tables, that the, the times of sharing are lacking in our life. I, I, I'm just like you, and, and, and I have a very busy schedule. If you have a busy schedule, say amen. amen. You know, the, the enemy of your soul is, is pretty subtle. And you, you do have an enemy of your soul, right? You, you realize that, that you have, you, you, the devil is real, that you have an enemy of your soul that's trying to destroy you. And, and the, the subtle thing that our enemy does is he makes us so busy that we really can't connect to other people. 
And I'm afraid that in the church, it's not been a purposeful move. It's, it's not that we don't like each other. It's not that we don't love each other. But we're so busy that we don't have time for each other. And if the church is family, the one thing I know about family is you have time for family. I have time for Spencer. I have time for Terry. I don't have any time for Wyatt because he's all the way in Portland, Oregon, and I never see him. I do have time for him too. You have time for family. And if the church is family, then we need to make time for the church. See, see there's value in the church. The, the church is not a human organization. It was not dreamed up in the mind of man, but it was dreamed up in the mind of God. And God saw the church as significant and valuable. And the relationships that we have in the church are significant and valuable. Scripture that we've not used in this series, but really could underscore the whole series, is found in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42 and 47. This is, this is the post-Pentecost church. And, you know, the Holy Spirit has fallen. They're filled with the Spirit. And this church begins the great move that, that we see. And, and it says this, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I've preached series on this passage, multiple series on this passage. At least, at least three times, I believe, I've preached through this passage in a church setting. And, and I think in this passage, typically, what do we focus on? We, we focus on breaking bread. We focus on fellowship. We focus on gathering around the word. We focus on the sense of all, the wonders and the signs among the apostles. We focus on having things in common and selling their property and generosity. And we focus on continuing in the temple courts, continuing in the public eye. I have at least have focused on those aspects of this passage. But as I've prepared this message, as I've thought about what I want to say as we close this series, the phrase that's come to my mind that, that stands out is continually devoted in verse 42. This is a persistence. This is, okay, this is a commitment that I'm making, and I'm going to stick with it. That this is continually, persistently continuing to commit to what the obligation is. Now, in the church, I'm just going to tell you, 
In the church, commitment involves space and time. What do I mean by that? If we don't share space and time, we're not together. Uh, Rick Warren, I can remember when we went through Purpose Driven Life at Tri-County. I guess that's been 20-some years ago. But, but he talked about how people will say, well, I'm with you in spirit. <laughs> Anybody ever tell you, I'll be with you in spirit? And, and, and he said, you know what that means? He says it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, to, to be committed together takes a commitment to space and time. That, that we commit to being in the same space at the same time together. Now, I understand that there's situations where this isn't possible. But if you've gathered in here on a Sunday morning, you have the ability to gather with other believers. You know, I, I, I minister to people who are shut in. And I understand the concept of being shut in. But you folks aren't shut in because you're here this morning, right? You say, man, why do I have to come today? <laughs> Space and time. This takes time. If you are going to be continually devoted to, to other folks, if you're going to be continually devoted to the church, it takes time. I, I'm not going to tell you otherwise. I'm not going to pretend that, that, that we can do it without time. It takes time. So some of you are thinking, Pastor, I have no more time to give but we give time to what we consider valuable, right? Can, can I just be honest? Either the church matters or it doesn't. If it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. But, but as I read God's word, as I've seen what the church has meant in my life, as I understand what the church has meant in your life, the church matters. It's important. It's significant. It is worthy of our time. Now, through this series, we've been saying 90 together. We're saying find 90 minutes to carve out for other believers for significant fellowship and prayer and study of God's Word. I don't think that's too much. And for some of you who've been around the church for a long time, I'm asking for less of a commitment than you were probably given 20 years ago. Amen? Boy, there was a few amens, not many. You know, can we look back? And maybe this would's better. I don't know. I just know the reality. It's not where we are now. 30 years ago, we would come back Sunday night and come back Wednesday night. And those of you who've been around the church for a while, say amen. amen. Sometimes the Sunday night services went longer than 90 minutes, right? Because preachers just never know when to shut up. You come back on Wednesday night, and sometimes Wednesday night service, by the time you got out of the building, you, you, you had committed two hours. Did you see the shift? 90 together. It takes Time and the church is worthy of our time. This takes a persistent commitment. Maybe you're not like this, but I I can be 
less than persistent in my commitment from time to time. Can, can anybody else like that? Diets, okay? Exercising. Um, you know, maybe, maybe being more active in reading or doing other things or study. I, I, can, I can set some goals and then fall by the side pretty quickly. Uh, nobody else is like that, right? <laughs> this takes a persistent commitment. In other words, don't expect to, 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 to carve out 90 minutes and angels to sing and everything to be different. Right? You know, th- this may take a week after week commitment. And that's why in January, you know, we're, we're, I, I'm not, I'm smart enough. Well, maybe I'm not. But I'm realistic enough to know that I'm not going to ask you to make a commitment to a small group in December because everybody's just flat out too busy. And I don't want to start something that is doomed to failure just because of family and work and social obligations. And so in January, we're going to ask you, we're going to ask people to make a commitment to a small group. And the commitment is not until Jesus returns. Well, maybe when Jesus returns. I don't know. Things just seem to be getting worse and worse every day. And I'm kind of waiting for Jesus to return, right? (laughs) Even so, come Lord Jesus. November 7th would be good. Um, (laughs) That's bad, isn't it? You shouldn't think like that. But we're asking for a 12-week commitment. That's it. I'm not saying commit for a year or commit for six months or commit for nine months or commit for two years or 10 years. 12 weeks. See, I believe with the things of God that if you'll try it, you'll like it. Maybe not the first week, maybe not the second week, but the time you're to 12, the 12th week, you're going to say, okay, that was good, and I'm ready for another 12-week commitment. So we're asking for a 12-week commitment because I think it's important that we, we don't just try it once and say, oh, I like it, or that was for me, or that wasn't for me, but that we go through the time and the space and we are persistently commit, committed to what we're doing. And the final thing is this. This takes a commitment to hospitality. What do I mean by that? We've got to get to the place where the new person, the visitor, the guest can come and feel like they're a part quickly. Uh, I've been using the phrase, do you have space for one more friend? See, 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 we don't need friendly churches, but we need a friend at the church. Uh, and, and so this church is a very friendly church, but it's not always easy in this church to find a friend. And part of it is we, we've been together for so long. You know, our, our, friend, our friend list is, is filled up. And so I'm inviting you or I'm encouraging you to make space for just one more person. If everybody in this room, if everybody in this congregation would just make space for one more friend, it would revolutionize our church. I believe that. And so this is a call to hospitality. This is a call to bringing guests and visitors fully into the body, welcoming, opening up your table. 
And some of you, I, I understand, this isn't your gift. <laughs> if it's not your gift, raise your hand, okay? It's not my gift. You know, I, I, I am, in my essence, um, a shy person. I know, you say, oh yeah, you're a shy person, you preach every week. It's because God, it's what God's called me to do. But I am an introvert. I am not an extrovert. And by, by nature, I, I prefer to be by myself. If you're like that, raise your hand, Right? There's a lot of us in the church. And I think in the church, I think the church is full of people who, who tend to be more introverted. But I believe God has called us for the sake of the gospel not to necessarily to be extroverted, but to at least practice hospitality. Now, introverts can practice hospitality. Do you know that? You know how introverts practice hospitality? One-on-one, person-to-person. You know, I probably won't be hosting big parties. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to gather 30 or 40 people around me and be the life of the party. But in personal settings, one-on-one, I can connect other people. Now, some of you are extroverted. Some of you like to do these kind of things. And I'm calling on you to lead us introverts, (laughs) those of you who are truly extroverted, those of you who are gifted in hospitality, to lead us. We need you. We we need you to open your home. We, We need you to host parties and open houses. We need you to be small group hosts. If you have the gift of hospitality, if you have the gift of opening your, your home, I am appealing to you as your pastor to use that gift for the kingdom. To use it for the church. So, 90 together. 90 minutes outside the body, outside the the, the church, outside this gathering together. And we need small group leaders and small group hosts. I've only had a handful who've committed to to doing that. I've had several who have committed to to hosting an open house. And so we'll have several open house in in, um, December. And so if you want to have an open house, you're more than welcome anytime you want to have an open house. But for my purposes, to have these all on the same Sunday, on a couple Sundays in December, we really don't need any any additional hosts. But but we do need small group leaders, and we need small group hosts. Now, maybe you could do both. Maybe you could teach, and you could, uh, and you could also host it in your home. And, and we're also, we've got some people that have said, hey, I'll, I'll lead, but can you find me a spot? And, and, and we'll probably be doing some groups at the church as well. I, I envision a time where, where we have small groups meeting at the church several times a week. And so maybe you would be willing to teach a class at the church through the week on a Sunday night at, at some point. If you, if you are, see me. We're still looking for small group uh, leaders and hosts. Now, we've been closing each week with communion. And I'm going to ask Bob to come. And why don't you take the stuff off the communion since we, um, Josh and I, are both sick. Uh, uh, you know, wouldn't that be, that would be like the, the, the bummer of it all, right? That if you got sick through communion, it just doesn't seem right. 
We're going to receive communion by intinction. And, and the bread's here in the front of the sanctuary. We have some little cups. If you need an usher to help you uh, with communion, to bring a cup to you, they'll, they'll, they'll do that. There's also uh, gluten-free uh, communion if you need that. I know some have allergies, and we've tried to be accommodating to that. Uh, but we're going to receive communion. I, I understand that traditionally in our church, communion has not been a weekly thing. And if I had my way communion would be weekly because I think communion takes us back to the cross. <laughs> that, that every service we close, we're reminded that we have gathered in this place that's not on our own merit. It's not because of what we've done, but it's because of what he's done. Communion reminds us that Jesus suffered and died on a cross so that we can have relationship with our Heavenly Father and we can have relationship with each other. And we are people of the cross. So every time we receive communion, maybe you're saying, oh, pastor, it's too much. Well, I'd invite you to do this. Every time you see these elements, be reminded of the crucified Christ. It also reminds us of his presence. See, see, Jesus says, whenever you drink from the cup, whenever you eat the bread, be reminded that I am present. And so we place... In most churches, we place a communion table. I guess ours was over there, but a communion table typically sits right in the center, right in the front of the sanctuary, and it reminds us of the presence of God. That, that we've, when we've gathered in this room, there is the unseen presence of Jesus Christ, and when we receive communion, we are saying, Jesus, you are in this place, and that's significant, right? Right? So we gather around the table and we gather and Jesus is at the head of the table and and we sit at the table as equal brothers and sisters in Christ. One table, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. All of these things are present in communion. There's also a look ahead in communion. In, In communion, you are reminded that there is coming a day when you will sit fully in the presence of Christ in, in, in the kingdom of heaven and there will be this wedding feast as we, the bride, join the groom in heaven. All of these things, all of these images, all of these things are present in communion. Now, now we're Wesleyan in our understanding of, of what communion means. And, and, and we're not Catholic in the, in the view, and I, I don't want to get too deep here, but we're not Catholic in the view that we believe that the elements actually become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But we're Wesleyan in that we say, but the presence of Christ is really here. It's not symbolic. It's not just a ritual, but that somehow when we share this meal together, Jesus is fully present to us. Stop and think about that for a moment. All of us have been through good things and bad things this past week, right? And next week there'll be good and there'll be bad and what if, what if you could just sit at the feet of Jesus just for a few minutes? Communion 
is an invitation for you to sit at the feet of Jesus. Stand with me, if you will. I'm going to pray, and then you'll be dismissed from the back. We're receiving by intention, which means that you'll come and you'll dip the bread in the cup as you go past. I'm going to pray for us now. Uh, Let me read some scripture first. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, help us to receive these elements in the right way, with right heart, right motive, with an awareness of your presence, with an attitude of thanksgiving for the sacrifice that you you made on the cross. May we be aware, Lord, of your presence. May we be aware, Lord, that you are coming again. And Lord, in all these things, may we give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.